This is Allison Joseph from Sevet Chinuch, proud to bring you another episode of the Parsha podcast, Devarim, The Next Generation. This week's Parsha is Re'eh, which addresses a lot of very different topics, the acceptance of the laws, blessings and curses, the idea of eating meat and how they relate to the sacrifices in the temple, idolatry, a list of which animals are kosher, the laws of Shemitah and tithing of fields, and then it ends with laws about the pilgrimage festivals, the Shalosh Regalim. So here's what some of the Chanichim found most interesting about this week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom. Margishim Kaitz Bavir. Margishim Welcome back to Parsha Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Annie. And this week's Parsha is Parsha Re'eh. In this Parsha, Moshe talks about a blessing and a curse, and he gives the Jews a choice between the two. And he talks about the consequences um, and rewards of each of them. Now we're going to interview some people around camp um, and ask them questions that kind of relate to the Parsha. Hi, I'm Emily. <laughs> the first question um, is, what's a hard decision you had to make? Or any decision you had to make? Okay, one hard decision I had to make was switching to public school from private school. Very interesting. And what were the rewards and consequences of that decision? Well, there weren't really any consequences. But, like, I don't know. I'm kind of confused. I guess it was a hard decision I had to make because, like, I didn't know if I wanted to stop going to private school. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being on our podcast. Okay, now we're here with Noah. You want to say hi? Hi. Okay. So what is a hard decision that you had to make or just a decision that you had to make? So a hard decision I had to make was um, there were a group of friends and then... And then my bunk, so a kid was leaving and I had a group of friends that were doing something really fun and it was, it was hard to decide if I wanted to stay back to say be, to be able to say goodbye to my friend or just go hang out. And like, so so the, the consequence I would say is I missed a few fun things that they didn't get it, they didn't do again, but like, but, um, but, but also, it's good that I got to say goodbye to my friend before he left. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you again next week on Parsha Podcast. With Annie and Emily. Welcome back to Parsha Talk. This is Tzvi Gomez in Machon from Tzrif B12. Uh, and I'm here to talk about Kashrut. In Parsha Re, 
it does a brief overview of kashrut and it brought me many questions i hadn't i hadn't heard of kashrut since it was explained back in shmot well of course i'd heard of it but i hadn't thought about it since it was explained back in shmot which we read in the winter so it was a long time without thinking about it so i i had a little refresher and the first question i asked myself was what does kashrut mean what does kashrut mean well i learned that the root of the word kasher kafshin reish meant acceptable uh in the torah it's used well it isn't actually used in the torah and in the midrash and in the rabbinic like literature it's used as the word for acceptable or uh correct it it's used in a total sense so for example sukot can be kosher um uh lulav and etrog they can be kosher too because it's acceptable or correct however now and uh 20 in the 19th 20th and 21st century it's become to apply only to animals so kosher the word the thing that kosher represents is now animals whether or not they are correct or acceptable to be eating so the word kashrut is actually or kosher is never used in the torah strangely enough it's always referred to as impure unclean or abominable rather than correct or acceptable so that's what kosher means however this brought me to another question why are certain things kosher while other things aren't first of all we have to answer the question what are what even what categories make for acceptable creatures so first animals uh talking like bipeds and quadrupeds so monkeys as well as cows uh they have to have split hooves and they have to chew their cud so examples are like cow sheep goat all the regular domestic animals that you know we eat kosherly uh so in examples of which that don't apply are like camels they have split hooves but camels don't chew their cud or pigs pigs chew their cuds but they don't have split foot split foot they don't have split hooves therefore we cannot eat them so the next category is fish for a fish to be kosher it only needs to have fins and scales so for example a tuna a salmon a flounder those are kosher fish uh an interesting debate is a swordfish because when swordfish are little they have fins and scales but when they get older they shed them uh i recently learned an interesting story about a mythical beast called the leviathan which appears in the tanakh uh in sometimes it's described as a seven-headed serpent with fins and scales so the rabbis were debating on whether or not it was a kosher and they didn't come to a definitive answer but it was just an interesting thing that i heard so the next category is birds so the only kind of restriction is it can't be a bird of prey and it has to have three toes in as opposed a three like toes on its uh three claws i mean on its next category so examples of birds that you can eat are chickens turkeys ducks so the next category is insects oddly enough there are very there's very few laws about which insects you can eat only ones that don't fly and ones that don't live in plants so for example crickets crickets are the biggest ones like the biggest most popular example of a kosher insect in fact 
Where I live, there is a restaurant that sells fried crickets. I have never eaten one, but I might soon. The next category is reptiles. This is the one that I find most interesting. Uh, in the Torah, it says that you can eat no reptiles at all, period, end of sense. And that's just kind of weird. seems like a category of animals that you don't... It's, it's just kind of illogical why you wouldn't be able to eat reptiles, but you are able to eat all of these other animals. So, uh, I did some thinking, and I realized that it was probably because of the snake uh, and forbidden fruit thing that happened all the way back in Bereshit, where obviously the snake convinced Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, and she did. I also learned, um, I asked about crocodiles in specific to Professor Rogoff, who many of you may know, and he gave me the answer that when the, during the Roman occupation at the Hellenistic age, uh, the rabbis, well, people were trying to make things uh, logical in the Torah, when in fact a lot of things are really illogical, and they said that the reason we can't eat them is because they had bad moral behavior. So that probably is a reference to the snake-apple ordeal. But then I went further and thought, I noticed the similarity between all of the animal categories. I noticed uh, the only animals that you could eat were herbivores, the only fish you could eat were herbivores, the only birds you could eat were herbivores, the only insects you could eat were herbivores. Well, yeah. But reptiles are all carnivores. You you aren't going to find a... You're not going to find a plant-eating reptile anywhere you go. So that's another reason. And the last reason is that in Egypt, uh, in the Nile River, there are Nile crocodiles. They're the biggest crocodiles in the whole world. And probably at some point, uh, when we were slaves in Egypt, somebody went down to the Nile and they got eaten by a crocodile. So uh, it also fits into the category of things that eat humans, which we aren't allowed to eat, like lions and tigers and leopards and... Uh, vultures. Oh, on the note of vultures, scavengers. Anything that eats dead food, we also aren't allowed to eat. Uh, we also aren't allowed, we ourselves aren't allowed to eat dead food. We have to kill it in the kosher way. So, now I have other questions to ask in an interview. Three questions are, why are these things the way that they are? Why, uh, why do we need split hooves and chewed cuds if we're going to eat an animal? Why do we need fins and scales if we're going to eat a fish? Why can't we eat birds of prey? Insects, I kind of understand. They're, a big, they're pretty disgusting. But reptiles especially. That was my biggest question. So, I'm going to go ask, I'm going to go out and ask people why, we, why they think we can't do this. Welcome back to Parsha Talk Podcast. This is Tzvi Gomez, and I'm interviewing someone in my bunk. Please introduce yourself. I'm Daniel Atra from B12. So, Daniel, what do you know about kashrut? Well, I know that you can't mix meat and dairy, and animals have to be kosherly killed, and only a few types of meat are kosher. That's pretty good depth of knowledge. Anyway, I'm going to start the questions now. Have you ever thought about... Why are, why are these things the way that they are? So, why do animals have to have split hooves? Why do they have to chew their cud? Why can't I eat a bird of prey? Why can't I eat an, why can't I eat an eagle? 
Well, why do you think that these things are the way they are, Daniel? Um, I think it's just that's what it says in the Torah. I don't really there's I don't know if there's really a reason for why, except for I'm like probably they're probably like theories like maybe those animals were in like infected and stuff and this was God trying to keep us safe and those were that's what I've heard about it. But do you, do you mean that they might have carried fatal diseases? Yeah, they could have carried like diseases and they weren't as like good to eat. And this is the Torah telling us not to eat them. Good thought. This leads ne- well into our next question. Should we even be wondering why these things are the way they are? Should we have been wondering why we can't eat, why can't eat a pig? Um, well, you, you couldn't wonder, but I think the Torah, like, like specifically states, I don't think there's really, like, a reason for it, but it specifically states you can't eat it, but for the mo- only reason that you can't do it. So you think that the things are the way they are because the Torah says it is? Yeah, and I think the Torah is there to help you, to help us, like, navigate it. Very interesting. So, next to my friend Daniel, I have my other friend, who is also in our bunk. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Adam Kritzer. I'm also in B12. So, Adam, what do you know about kashrut? Something that Daniel hasn't already said. Well, I know that it means keeping kosher, which, well, obviously means meat and dairy. It means you can't eat pig, you can't eat shellfish. Basically, the Torah chose a couple of animals that you can't eat and the couple of animals that you can eat, and that's what it means. Very interesting, Adam. I have the last question for you, one that I came up with while I was researching kashrut. The question of plants. Why aren't there laws to, uh, regulating what, what plants we can and can't eat? Why, are, why aren't there laws regulating what ways we can prepare plants? Why are plant, do plants seem exempt from the laws of kosher datum? Why do you think that? Well, the reason that we keep kosher and the reason why we can't have specific animals is because the Torah said it, and that means God chose what um, kosher animals are and what animals aren't kosher, and he obviously didn't just forget about plants. It was there's a reason for the fact that we can eat all plants and that is just up to God. If we figure out reasons for for like kosherness, then we're just gonna start wondering if we should really follow the rules. And so it, it's better off if we just don't know the rules, so then we just follow them. However, I think the reason that we can have all plants is because there isn't really like a specific way you can kill plants. It's kind of just like you just take the plants and um, take take the take the fruit off the plant and eat it, or take the seed on the plant and eat it. Very interesting, Adam. Uh, recently, I learned since this is an opinion question, I asked Noam Cornsgold why there weren't any laws regarding to the way we prepare or kill plants. He said it had to do he said it had to do mostly with sentience. And the idea that cows are alive, because if you think about it, we live in a modern scientific age where we know plants are alive. They meet all the categories that make life. But if you think about it from back in the biblical times, we didn't know that. If you look at a plant, is it alive? doesn't look alive, doesn't move, doesn't speak. It isn't really alive. But if you look at a cow, on the other hand, it moves, it speaks, it says moo. It's pretty alive. So... Don't know what you're talking about this whole plant or alive thing. That's just crazy. 
So he said it had to do with sentience for the for the first part, and he said that there actually were laws on whether or not we on the way we could prepare plants because a lot of insects, which as Daniel noted, are not kosher, and a lot of them that aren't kosher live in the plants that we eat. So there are ways in which we have to prepare plants, searching them for bugs, apples, for example. You know the classic depiction of a worm in your apple. You can't eat worms. So you need to check your apple for worms. That's the way that kashrut applies. So thank you, Adam, for your answer. No problem. Okay. Now I'm here with my third friend, also from my bunk. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Aton Cohen. What bunk are you in, Aton? B12. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, something that I didn't think I'd, an- I'd ask today, but what do you know about sabbatical years? What? Sabbatical years? No, I, I know nothing. You don't know anything about sabbatical years? Well, very interesting. So, sabbatical years uh, are discussed in Parshat Re, a bit less than uh, Kashrut are discussed. But in Parshat Re, it summarizes that a sabbatical year comes every seventh year, and it includes the canceling of the debt. So, like, if you have a debt that you didn't pay off in seven years, you don't have to pay off the rest of it. Uh, the releasing of your slaves, so if you took, well, Jewish slaves in specific, so if you took a Jewish slave, you'd have to release them. And, but you don't just release them into the world. You have to give them house, shelter, you have to give them some of your flock, you have to give them food. Uh, and if they don't want to stay because you've been really nice to them, you can, give, you can give them a wife, you can give them a house. You have to give them a lot of these things, especially on the sabbatical year. Uh, it also includes a giving the land to rest, so you don't plant or sow anything on a sabbatical year. Uh, yeah. These days, we don't have sabbatical years anymore, especially uh, in Israel, where all these laws would apply. Because since it's a desert, since most of it is a desert, and since there are 8 million people living there, a lot more than, uh, a lot more than the Torah would have anticipated, it's very difficult to feed 8 million people over an entire year without growing anything. So that's why we don't have them. So, Alden, what do you think of sabbatical years? Do you think they're practical in today's terms? Do you think they're Do you think they're logical in the same way that kashrut is logical? Or do you think they're illogical in the same way that kashrut is logical? Well, I think that logic is kind of subjective here because there's two main ways you can think about it. Kashrut was formed on the basis of God's opinion or it was formed on the basis of, you know, years of you know, changing essentially of the Torah if there was an original Torah sent down by God by... <clears throat> You know, oral manipulation and cultural changes because it like took many generations for the Torah to get written down. So if we're thinking it uh, like purely from perspective of God, we can't really say logic in the same way. But if we're thinking of it of the in the perspective of a person, um, sabbatical years just like kashrut make a, um, some you know logical sense um, in the same way that a lot of other religions have you know let's say. Um, rest years where you're supposed to be giving back to the community and you're supposed to be essentially humbling yourself, this seems to be, sabbatical years are similar to that in that they're essentially, well, A, they're a way to reduce your profits and stop you from, you know, getting larger and larger um, and larger and more greedy. Um, So that could be, you know, one of the reasonings behind it, especially in a time where, like, you know, um, just going through villages or fields or, like, you know, robbing certain places or um, attempting to accumulate last, mass amounts of wealth was, um, you know, very common. It kept the Jewish community, le- you know, more equal, um, equalized and stable. Um, so that I could see that would be a reason 
as to why they exist. Um, and just like in just like in to ta- today's terms with yeah, just like in today's terms with Kashrut, um, I think that there's certain reasons that these that these um, you know that this exists there's certain reasons that it exists and I think it's good to you know give vaccine and humble yourself and you know that's the reason that they release slaves but because a lot of the things that are applicable then are not applicable now we should look for other ways to humble ourselves instead of like you know giving back slaves which isn't really a common practice in modern day America that's a very interesting answer Alden uh, to address your first point uh you're saying that kashrut is more is more a mitzvah of ben adam le hashem uh, from humans to God, and that the sabbatical year is more of an issue is more of a mitzvah of ben adam le chavero from man to his neighbor. Uh, that means that logic dictates uh, and social constructs, cultural constructs, as you said, dictates the sabbatical year more than they dictate the laws of kashrut. Is that correct, Alden? Well, I was saying more that um, the Torah, <clears throat> the idea of the sabbatical year and the Torah, they might have been, you know, just the kashrut might have been formed by human opinion because the Torah um, was muddled or or didn't even exist in the first first place. If you want to be really radical about it, um, but like because changes did happen, like you know, it's very obvious to see cultural changes um, and how the Torah was written down only you know a long time after it was supposedly delivered. Um, you know, this in the same way that kashrut might make sense because back then they didn't realize that reptiles might be, you know, health might be, you know, hygienic in some circumstances, and that pigs might be healthy in some circumstances. Um, it, it was like both of these were found, uh, were created on the basis of logic of the time. And even though the times have changed, we know that, like, you know, you can eat certain reptiles without getting sick, and we know that you can prepare a pig without getting sick. Um, you also, we also know that, like, you know, back then we don't have slaves anymore, so we, we don't have slaves anymore, so we can't really return them. But the basic concept of keeping our communities safe and, you know, keeping our moralities in check um, should still be there, no matter whether or not you believe that these laws are sent directly from God or open to interpretation. So, that's a very interesting point you bring up. Uh, I like... Uh, I've never heard, and I like the fact they bring in the aspect of humility into this, that the sabbatical years are supposed to keep ourselves from getting too greedy, getting getting too full of ourselves. I also like the thing that you brought up about secular tradition, that the sabbatical year is a good thing for secular tradition and ethical morality as a whole, rather than uh, Judaic morality in specific. Thank you very much, Alden. Yes. Hi, this is Alison Joseph from Sevet Chinuch, and as you heard from Tzvi, a big part of this Parsha is about the laws of Kashrut, the animals that can be eaten or not eaten, and the criteria for determining which those animals were. So I thought it would be appropriate for me to talk to Josh Bender, our resident mashkiach this summer and rabbinical student, about what he does in the Chadarocha. Josh, thanks for being with us on our podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do as the Mashkiach in camp? So I am sort of always a presence in the kitchen. Sometimes I help out with uh, the preparing of the meals. And I just sort of ensure that Jewish dietary law kashrut is being followed. I check the deliveries that come in to make sure that they're kosher according to the standards of the camp, the ingredients we use, 
as well as the snacks we serve. And then just some sort of like always in conversation with the kitchen staff trying to make sure that the, uh, the food being served to the campers and staff is kosher. So one of the things that you notice in the Parsha is that it really just talks about the animals and what's kosher and what's not. It, it, the fourth aliyah ends with the uh, don't boil a kid in his mother's milk, but it really doesn't tell us what you do beyond that. So we do a lot more things here in camp. So uh, where does that come from, and uh, how, are we apply- how are we making that move from what it says in the Parsha to uh, what we actually do practically? So there's generally a, there's a gradual um, like evolution. Um, there's that initial verse which you referenced, and then to sort of try to make it less and less possible for there to be a mixing of milk and meat in the food we eat, we sort of make it harder and harder. So that's how we get from, you know, don't eat these things together to, well, you should rinse your mouth out, you know, between eating the two to, well, no, now you need to wait. Oh, well, I don't want to have the mixing and the, the things I'm cooking with. So, I, you know, I'm going to have two sets of dishes. And there's just sort of, it builds out and out from there, from that initial commandment to kind of what we have now, where it's just a gradual, gradual separation to the point where it's, it's, it really is like it's a, in the text I studied for my Kashrut class, um, it says it's a, it's a custom of Israel to have a separation of milk and meat. Okay, Josh, thank you for making sure that our food is kosher to eat. מרגישים קיץ באוויר, כבר עשרים שנה. מרגישים קיץ באוויר, כל רמה. ישיר ממחנה רמה בברצ'רס. אנחנו, כל רמה, 102.3 FM.